Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we have pointed discussions about U.S. soccer, Americans abroad, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. Earlier this week, I gave a few updates on our Americans Abroad's recent performances and updated everyone on MLS playoffs and our national team players who had competed there. I also answered quite a few questions about our national team and gave some final thoughts for the past week. Only a few days have passed since that episode, but we have so much more to talk about today. In the midweek, we had several players in the Champions League and Europa League, so we will give a quick update on those performances, but most of today will be hitting some more hot topics in the U.S. soccer world, especially leading up to the 2022 World Cup, and there are quite a few of them to look at. Well, after taking it easy earlier in the week, I've got a nice pint to drink during today's episode. Coming out of San Diego, California today, I have Thorn Brewing and their West Coast IPA called Relay. This one is 7.2% and features Simcoe, Centennial, Amarillo, and Citra hops that create a really intense, complex hop flavor. It has notes of pine and fruits like tangerine, mango, pineapple, and even passion fruit. I had not had this one before, but it certainly won't be my last one. If you are familiar with the San Diego area, Thorn Brewing began in North Park where the neighborhood thrived with walking and riding bikes to get around and getting to Thorn became a must for everyone once it opened back in 2012. Since those days, Thorn has opened up two other locations in the area and continue to be a top craft brewer in the city. I've been fortunate enough to visit their original location in North Park a few times and have never left disappointed. Always a friendly neighborhood vibe, great people, dog-friendly, food trucks, and overall, just really, really good beer. If you ever get a chance to visit the area, make sure you prioritize Thorn as a must-stop. So, thank you to Thorn for letting me feature you today. I love West Coast-style IPAs, so this is the perfect Friday beverage for me. Well, I know earlier in the week, I went through the performances of each player, and that can get a little boring going through one by one. I get it. But I think it's important to talk about prior to this World Cup. So I want to review a few performances or highlight a few players from the Champions League and Europa League that took place Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. Chelsea took on FC Salzburg in the early Tuesday match, and Christian Pulisic, somewhat surprisingly, got the start in a more wing-back type of role. I say somewhat surprisingly because he has mainly been coming off the bench this season. But when he does play, he contributes, and this match was no different. He looked confident on the ball, and in the second half, was credited with an assist on their second goal. He continues to make an impact when he can, and he will be ready for some consistent playing time at the World Cup. With Chelsea's victory, they will move on to the knockout stage of the tournament as well. Weston McKinney had scored for Juventus on the weekend, and in his second straight match, he found the net again in Juventus's 4-3 loss to FC Porto. Juventus will not be as lucky as Chelsea and are bounced out of the Champions League with the loss. Gio Reyna also got his first Champions League start of the season as Dortmund faced off against Manchester City. Reyna played extremely well, made it very difficult for City to get comfortable, and Dortmund respectfully drew 0-0 with the favorites in City. Cameron Carter-Vickers and Celtic drew 1-1 in their match, with Carter-Vickers again leading their back line and captaining the squad. He did have one big mishap that almost led to a goal, but fortunately for him, the attacker mistouched on a wide open goal to keep the score level. The final American to play on Tuesday was goalkeeper Josh Cohen, 
who started in net for Maccabi Haifa against Paris Saint-Germain. Unfortunately for Cohen, Lionel Messi and his crew took no mercy on him, scoring seven times in a 7-2 loss for Cohen. Not the outing you ever won as a goalkeeper, but given the competition and the types of goals that were scored, it seems like there was nothing Cohen could have done about it. The only Americans to play on Wednesday were Malik Tillman and James Sand for Rangers in their 3-0 loss to Napoli. Both Tillman and Sands started the match with Tillman seeing 67 minutes before being subbed off and Sands playing the full 90 in a defensive midfield role. Now, I'll quickly run through the rest of these, but on Thursday in the Europa League, Matt Turner was a late scratch for Arsenal as he's dealing with some kind of minor groin issue. Who knows if it's serious or not, but definitely something for us to keep an eye on. Jordan Pifak in Union Berlin won 1-0 with Pifak starting and playing around 63 minutes of action. All in all, a pretty successful week for Americans in two of the biggest club competitions in the world. Ten years ago, there wouldn't have been much to talk about with this, but it's amazing to see so many Americans making an impact in Europe now. All right, two months ago, we looked at a few hot topics like, should Brendan Aronson be starting for the U.S.? Should Josh Sargent be on the plane to Qatar? The playing in MLS versus Europe debate. World Cup expectations. And even something we spoke about earlier in the week on whether or not Jesse Marsh should be the next U.S. manager. And while I think it's fair to say all of those topics are still something we could debate on, we have even more to look at as we get closer to the most wonderful time of the year, which is the World Cup. A lot of people have questioned the player selections over the past few years with Greg Berhalter in charge. And of course, that is expected to happen. Nobody is going to ever agree 100% with everything a manager does. There will always be some type of criticism along the way. We know Greg has had issues with John Brooks, but there is a new player who has spoken up this week about his relationship with Greg, and that was Matt Miazga. Earlier this week, after Cincinnati's season had ended, Matt was asked by a reporter about this, and he responded with, and I quote, We didn't see eye-to-eye on a few things in the past, and that has affected me from being called up. But it is what it is. And he continued with, I'd like to say a few things, but I'll refrain from that. You guys will eventually find out. End quote. Now, I don't know about your feelings about this or how you want to interpret it, but it is extremely telling to me. If you look at players who have been overlooked in recent camps or months or even that have been banished since 2021, it is all individuals who questions who question the tactics, the system, just the overall thought process of Greg. Anyone who had a disagreement or publicly said anything about their participation with the national team was basically exiled. Julian Green comes to mind. For all of the talent he had and the promise he had, he had a very successful season last year in the Bundesliga, but never was on Greg's radar. He made a few comments about his lack of involvement and wrote his sentence there. Again, we know the John Brooks situation. He has called out Greg many times during matches, in camps, and he is no longer deemed an option for the national team program despite the talent he had as a center back, which has always been an area of need for the U.S. This summer, Haji Wright came into camp and scored his first national team goal, a penalty kick that Christian Pulisic let him take. Wright was a massive part of the same youth national teams that Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and others were on. He was a welcomed addition 
into the summer roster. You could tell the respect the guys had for him, but after being subbed out in his final appearance, you could tell he was unhappy, and he had a bit of a disagreement with Greg on the sideline. After camp ended, Greg basically called out Wright for his performances and was really negative about a promising player that the guys respected. He hasn't been talked about since. I mentioned this a few weeks ago about how concerning it is that no current players, aside from his MLS favorites, ever speak up publicly in support of Greg. This is yet another example of the lack of respect a lot of our players have in a coach that doesn't know how to manage tough personalities. He is a below average man manager with this group, and that is being extremely nice. I've also found it extremely curious how much mainstream media members tend to shy away from this topic. You won't hear them discuss it. You won't ever hear anyone within U.S. soccer disagree with the current regime. It just won't happen. As a media member, you will not get access to the team if you speak negatively. As a player or youth coach or anyone involved with U.S. soccer, if you speak out, you will not be a part of the group moving forward. It's pretty wild. Jermaine Jones, the former U.S. men's national team member who scored an incredible goal at the 2014 World Cup, is a German-American as well and currently helps coach the U-19 U.S. youth national team. He was asked recently about the current squad, who should start, and if he believed others should be called in. He refused to say anything that would have been deemed controversial. He wouldn't name a starting 11. He wouldn't address the lack of call-ups for Brooks or Green, both German-Americans as well. It was almost more telling that he wouldn't talk about it. It's just unbelievable how much toxicity there seems to be within the U.S. Soccer Federation. It goes much deeper than just this squad and Greg, but I can't wait to grab some popcorn once Greg is no longer in charge and hear from some of these players what has really been going on. Earlier this week, I mentioned that Greg was putting together a camp in Dallas, Texas that combines MLS national teamers for the U.S. senior team with players from our U-20 national team. Overall, Greg called in nine senior players and 16 U-20 players. As expected, we saw Jesus Ferreira, Walker Zimmerman, DeAndre Yedlin, Aaron Long, Paul Ariola, and Jordan Morris called in. Remember what I said about how Greg wouldn't call anyone in who he felt wasn't a realistic choice for the World Cup roster. How he didn't want to give anyone any false hope. How he wasn't just going to call in players for the sake of having bodies in camp. Well, he decided to bring in Christian Roldan, Shaq Moore, and Gabrielle Slonina. Three guys who haven't been a part of the squad in quite some time, who really shouldn't be called in based on Greg's rationality. Especially not when you consider he didn't call in Miazga, Jordi Mihaljevic, or Brandon Vasquez, all of whom have been in great form this season. The only thing Greg got right in not calling in players is leaving out two of his favorites in Jossie Zardes and Sebastian Legit. It's just another example of his complete lack of awareness in what he says versus what he does. If he just came out and bluntly said, I am the coach, this is my team, I select the players I want, then I think a lot of people might respect the choices a bit more. But the contradictory statements he continues to make, the hypocrisy within his choices, and just his arrogance is really problematic for me. I have no problem with us having a camp before the World Cup. In fact, I think it's critical to keeping their fitness since their seasons are complete and the World Cup is only 23 days away. However, based on Greg's reasoning, he rates Roldan ahead of Mihaljevic. 
Slonina is grouped technically into the U20, so I can understand that one too, but it just seems Greg is set in his ways, unwilling to add certain players into a system, unwilling to change his tactics and approach. And I truly believe he is going to make some very questionable choices on November 9th. I'm not saying I don't think he can get results, but what I am suggesting is he is teetering on the edge of pissing off his player pool and losing a lot of respect internally, which ultimately could be a major problem in a few weeks. The old saying, actions speak louder than words. Well, I can't wait to hear some words from Miazga, Brooks, and many others in the near future. Now, switching from U.S. national team to Major League Soccer, it was reported this week that MLS is seriously considering changing their current playoff format in upcoming seasons in order to generate, in their minds, more interest in the league. Currently, the top seven clubs in each conference earn playoff berths, with the top seed in each conference receiving a bye into their conference semifinals. The teams then all play a single elimination match at the higher seed's home venue. It's a pretty simple concept, easy enough to follow. It ends up being 13 matches to determine a champion. Well, MLS thinks they need more games, more of a tournament, and more of all of that should generate more interest in fans and coverage overall. And if I follow their logic, they don't think that 34 regular season matches between all teams is enough to determine who should be in the playoff. Instead, they want to try to introduce a 16-team tournament in four groups of four to play a round-robin format, with the group winners and second-place teams advancing to the quarterfinals, then the semifinals, and then the final. Instead of 13 matches, this would generate 30 matches. With Apple TV taking over all broadcasting for the league starting in 2023, it seems like they are trying to figure out how to make more money off of matches rather than what the product will be like on the field. Do I think it makes sense to expand the current playoff setup from 14 teams to 16 teams? Sure. Do I think after an entire season that there should be an even bigger tournament to determine who the champion is? No. I think it's ludicrous. There is not another top flight lead in the world that has a tournament after a long season to determine a champion. Why is Major League Soccer so gung-ho on trying to replicate the NBA or NHL or whatever other American sports leagues do rather than focusing on what really generates more interest in the league and with fans, which would be figuring out a way to develop into a promotion and relegation setup. That would really scare the owners into actually figuring out how to make the product on the field better rather than what is going to make their bank accounts bigger. Just my opinion, though. The final hot topic of today is one which could become even more of a hot topic after the World Cup or could be frozen out altogether. Which players could be on the move from their current clubs to new clubs come January? If you aren't aware, in club soccer, there are primarily two transfer windows where teams can buy other teams' players for a transfer fee, and January happens to be one of those windows. This means someone like Christian Pulisic could finally move away from Chelsea. It's already been reported that Newcastle are keen to sign him for around $45 million. But who else might be making a move to, hopefully, greener pastures for 2023? Just this week, Tyler Adams was in the news as being a potential target for Manchester United, which I would personally love. 
but I don't see it making a ton of sense for him to leave Leeds where he has consistently found playing time for a for a part-time role that he would have at Man U. Especially after just joining Leeds this past summer, it just doesn't make sense. The thing is, you will always hear a lot of rumors amongst all players and clubs in the world. And during and after this World Cup will be no different. I've spoken about how I think Yunus Musa will have a coming out party at the World Cup, which means I think he is absolutely going to dominate in his moments and put a lot of top clubs on alert. He is a young talent that will turn 20 years old on the U.S.'s third match day. If he performs well, his club team Valencia could look to cash in on the high value he will likely fetch for them. Given that he was raised in England, I could see him move into a top six Premier League club, which would be a dream move for him to make. Brennan Aronson has impressed the entire Premier League with his play at Leeds, but like Adams, I don't see him making a move midseason regardless of how well he performs. Then there's Gio Reyna, who very well could be the most talented player in the entire U.S. national team player pool. When he is healthy, he is world-class. Like Musa, he is only 19 years old, but will be turning 20 next month as well. His past year or so has been derailed by injuries, but a solid showing at the World Cup will only increase his values, and clubs won't be able to ignore the talent versus health debate on him much longer. Dortmund seems keen to retain his services for another year or two, but a good offer might be too good to pass up. Reina seems set to move to the Premier League sooner rather than later. Another player that could put the world on notice is Anthony Robinson. He is a regular starter with Fulham. He has been as solid as they come this year. Currently, Fulham is sitting in seventh place at the moment, quite unexpectedly, I should add. Not sure it makes sense for many players to make a move to another club midseason, especially in the same league, but come next summer with a great World Cup performance, Robinson could make a move too. Now, Obviously, there could be others as well, but I don't really see anyone else being so impactful at the World Cup that a club is going to come scoop for them in January. Definitely a lot of movement next summer, I would guess, more than this winter. And that's not to say if Josh Sargent goes out and scores seven goals in the World Cup that a Premier League club doesn't go grab him for Norwich on January 1st. I would love to see that happen. But realistically, I would only guess Pulisic makes a move, maybe Musa, maybe Reyna, and maybe one other that I haven't listed here. Let's hope we have such great performances that this is an extremely hot topic come the end of December. All right, well, moving on to some Q&A for today before we close things out. We had a few good questions and comments come through, some repeat questions from the past, some beer ones, and some personal ones. So I'll do my best to answer a couple really quickly. First off, for those who have listened to our previous episode, Making Provisions, you would know I didn't drink a pint of beer during the show. I had quite a few people disappointed in me for not doing so, and for that, I apologize. I promise from now on, whenever we record an episode, I will make sure I have a pint. Point was taken. Secondly, let's go to the first question. If Is there any chance any of the U20 players could make the World Cup roster like how Morris caught Klinsman's eyes back in 2014? And what a great question this was. For those unaware, back in 2014, the U.S. held their pre-World Cup camp at Stanford University, where they scrimmaged Stanford men's soccer team, and a young Jordan Morris caught the eye of Jurgen Klinsmann. The tale told is that during a closed-door scrimmage, Morris continuously dominated our back line and scored against the national team twice, prompting him to be called up to the future national team camps. 
He didn't make the World Cup roster in 2014, but Klinsman knew he had found a talent that day. Anyways, there are some intriguing names that will be that will be involved in the camp going on right now that we mentioned earlier. Slonina initially was thought to be someone who could challenge for the third goalkeeper spot. I don't think it's realistic at this point, but it's also never a bad thing to spend two weeks with the national team coaching staff and players alike either. There are some promising future defenders in camp like Jalen Neal, John Tolkien, and Caleb Wiley. In the midfield, Nico Securis is a promising young talent. And up top, Cade Cowell and Brian Gutierrez have a lot of potential too. But overall, none of them will be selected to represent the U.S. at the World Cup. Definitely a lot of names to look for in the futures though. Next up, you don't really think Stefan could retake the number one spot back from Turner, do you? I knew something like this was going to come my way. I went from having Stefan as our top goalkeeper to maybe not making the World Cup roster to sneaking back onto it to now potentially challenging again for the starting spot. I am not sure any other player in this group has had as much of a roller coaster lacks six to 12 months than Stefan has. Do I really think he could retake the spot? I actually do. It's not impossible, but Turner is still the front runner. Remember when Greg said he was missing five starters during September camp and we all couldn't figure out who the fifth person was? Maybe it really was Stefan. He has always been a Greg favorite. He played for Greg with Columbus Crew. It would be absolutely devastating for Turner if he lost his spot. And to be clear, I don't think Turner will. But again, anything is possible. All right. Last question for today. Why is U.S. soccer doing a roster release on ESPN? Yeah, so if you hadn't heard, U.S. soccer is hosting an exclusive roster reveal event in New York City on Wednesday, November 9th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Greg Berhalter will be there with select players who will be on the roster for Qatar. When I say exclusive, it is literally an invite-only event with a reception, the roster reveal itself, and then a post-reveal party. I get putting it on TV to help drum up interest in the team and the World Cup overall. I understand doing that. However, none of the European players will be in attendance due to their season still happening. They will all meet Greg and any MLS players in Qatar a week before the World Cup starts. So it'll be interesting to see who joins Greg in attendance in New York. Now, I'm not sure if this question was intended to be answered like this, or if you were questioning why it's on ESPN since all of the World Cup matches will be on Fox and not ESPN. I don't have any clue why, nor do I really care about it. I would rather U.S. soccer just be transparent and release the roster on their website rather than make a spectacle out of it. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for tuning in and helping provide content for the hot topics and questions this week. Please continue to share Soccer Pints with others and follow Soccer Pints on Instagram and Twitter. Special thanks again to Thorn Brewing for letting me feature you this week. With only three weeks to go until the World Cup, I am planning to collaborate on an episode with a couple of individuals in the next week or so. We will have a roster reveal episode, and then we will have one final episode before World Cup matches start. So the next couple of weeks will be extremely busy, so stay tuned. Until next time, cheers my friends.